Um, today's reading will be from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. My name is Zach Thompson. I'm on staff here at Calvary Bible Church, and we're kicking off our new series that's going to carry us through Easter, and it's a series that we're calling Questions Jesus Asked. It's remarkable to look through the stories of the Gospels, the stories that we read about Jesus, and see how many of them are centered on questions that Jesus asks, and yet we don't really get the scope of it until we start to count them up. Jesus asked 307 questions in the Gospels. It was one of the primary ways that he interacted with people. And certainly, he was not unique in this. Asking questions was one of the primary ways that Jewish teachers, rabbis, would teach at this time. But what sets Jesus' questions apart is that he knows the heart and the hearts. He knows the heart and the hearts. He knows the heart of the matter. He's asking questions to get to a deeper level of understanding of meaning than we might come to by, by just an initial reading or by just some instruction. But he also knows the hearts of those he's talking to, whether it's his followers, the audience that's there, people who are even opposing Jesus. He knows what they're thinking. He knows their history, what they need, what they're going through. And so he's asking these questions knowing the hearts, the heart of the matter, and the hearts of the people who are around him. There's, some, there's power to be found in questions. Questions are a, a way to, to get people from being on the offensive, from attacking, as they now need to give a response to it. Questions uh, uh, require introspection, which is often one of the greatest ways that we learn. The answers that we arrive to ourselves are, are some of the strongest beliefs, the best teaching that we can experience. Now, this is a little bit different than how questions tend to get used today. Uh, questions often are a way to tear down, to, to destroy things that are there. That, that idea of question everything. Hey, and there's a part of that that's good. We, we all want to grow. We don't want to be stuck in something that doesn't work or that is harmful. But the idea of questioning everything doesn't actually build anything up. It just tears down. Or questions can be a way to attack someone without having to take responsibility. We see this a lot with newscasters or politicians. Is my opponent a shape-shifting werewolf who eats babies? Well, that's the question you're going to need to answer at this election day. And then when they're held accountable for it, they just say, hey, I just asked a question. 
On the other hand, Jesus uses these questions that he asks to show his care for people because these are ways that he is building people up. He, he, he loves them and he's teaching them these incredible important truths and he's spending time with people not to tear down, not to leave people with less than they started with, but to build people up. So we wanna spend time in this series looking at the crux of Jesus' instruction, uh, which comes in the form of his questions. And we wanna do this so that we can learn, that we can grow, we can grow closer to Jesus, but so that we can also do what these questions are designed for us to do, to pause, to look at our hearts, to see do we align with the instruction that Jesus is giving. So we kick this series off by looking at a passage that has about a dozen questions in it, but we're gonna center our time on one question uh, that comes from verse uh, 28, which says, why are you anxious about clothing? Or we can shorten this to capture what the teaching of verses 25 to 34 are, to just, why are you anxious? Now, I wanna be cautious on this topic for a few reasons. One is the church hasn't always done the best job of applying this passage. So often people come away with this, this instruction from Jesus, do not be anxious, and, and they criticize other Christians or even themselves for the times of feeling fear or worry or anxiety. This isn't a passage that is supposed to inspire us to go out and, and get rid of all anxiety that we see in other people or to condemn ourselves when we experience it, as we'll see throughout our time. But I also wanna be cautious because there are some severe cases of anxiety that need additional support to that, that aren't fully what Jesus has in mind here in this passage. But third, because anxiety sometimes is the right response. Anxiety is something that is good, at least as it's being used as intended. If a bear was to smash through those back doors right now, it would be detrimental for us to manually do what anxiety automatically does. We first have to assess the situation. Am I in danger right now? And then after some reflection, we get to see, yes, this seems like it is a threatening situation. How then will I respond to it? Well, I could try to hide from the bear. Uh, is it possible to fight the bear or... Maybe I can get out of this room some, somehow. And then once we arrive at our plan, we then need to get our body ready. It's not as though we can just immediately do that. We need to get adrenaline going to carry us out of the room. But what anxiety does is it says, bear, heart rate is up and we're gone. And that's a good thing. Anxiety can be a good thing when it's used properly. The problem is we have a tendency to apply things as threats or dangers or not feeling safe to things that are not actually life-threatening, not immediately impacting us in any way. In times of searching for a job, when we are unemployed, are, are really anxious moments despite the fact we are not in immediate danger or conflict that we have with another person, or we, we know we're gonna have a difficult conversation, that whole buildup to it is just riddled with anxiety. Or when we think about the economy, or the fact that it is an election year. Whatever it is, there, there are so many things around us that are not immediate threats, and yet we feel the same way as if a bear just smashed through the, the doors. And that's not what anxiety is meant to do. 
I liked, uh, I was listening to Tim Keller talk about anxiety and he described it as so many of us walk around life constantly hearing the Jaws soundtrack and yet there's no fin. And certainly there are times when anxiety is a good thing. If we see a fin, we want to be anxious. Jesus himself was anxious in the Garden of Gethsemane going to the cross. Paul uses the word anxious about how he feels about the churches he plants, which is a picture of his care for them. But just our application of anxiety isn't always appropriate. And I think there's two main reasons why this is the case. One is we tend to worry about potentials rather than what is actually happening. What might occur rather than what is actually going on. I mean, what if a bear does smash through those doors? I've never thought about it before. I mean, there's no reason to believe it will. It's, it's never happened to this point. There's no bear sightings in this area, but what if it happens? Oh no. The other reason is we tend to worry about things outside of our control. I mean, what if there's a bear who had a bad experience with humans in 2013 and now he's out for revenge? We, we can't help that situation. But we tend to worry about potentials, things outside of our control, and it causes us to feel this way for something that's good, that's meant for our preservation, and it actually does damage to us. It actually is harmful rather than good. It's not supposed to go off all the time. And this is where I'm so grateful for how Jesus teaches on this topic. He has the command in there, don't be anxious, but he explains why that is the case by asking all of these questions. Why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about food? Why do you worry about what is potentially able to happen? Why do you worry about things outside of your control? Why do you worry about these things that you don't need to be anxious for? See, in asking questions, in teaching in this way, it goes beyond the command to helping us to understand what is the root of anxiety. And by my count in this passage, Jesus gives us eight ways or eight reasons why we are able to keep that command, to not be anxious. Now, I think those eight uh, examples, if you were worried, man, there's going to be eight points today. I think those eight boil down to two main reasons why we can keep that command to don't be anxious. And the first is because we have a heavenly father. We can avoid being anxious in this inappropriate way of it going off constantly, of worrying about things that are potential, things outside of our control, because we have a heavenly father. This teaching that happens in this section comes uh, right after a section where Jesus is talking about what is our allegiance. Is it God or is it money? What is it that drives us? What is it that, that influences the decisions that we make? What do we say is the most valuable thing in our life? Because we cannot serve both. So coming out of this discussion of our allegiance in God, it comes with that natural question of, okay, so if it's not money, if it's not the things I can control, if it's not security or support uh, with, with what money can produce in my life, how am I safe? How am I secure? What is it that is meeting these needs? And this section that Jesus goes into on, on anxiety answers that in part. As we think about physical needs, as we think about uh, our life and, and how are we supported, how are we provided for within it, that is how Jesus begins this conversation on anxiety. Look again at verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. 
So here we have this instruction. How are you provided for? Well, you have this heavenly father. And we'll focus our time first on uh, that, that, second, uh, that second part of that, that we have God as our father. Now that's more than a title. That's more than a name that's given to God. It's a description of his love and his care for his people. And the point that Jesus is making here in verse 25, God has given you life, which is so much more than food. God's given you a body, which is so much more than clothes. And if he's been this generous in how he loves you and cares for you, why should we doubt that he would give us these lesser things that we need as well? And we get this, this uh, given to us in two different examples. You, you get this idea that Jesus is teaching and, and he's just uh, looking around and, and, and explaining from what he can see. There's so many examples to show God's faithfulness and provision that we could just look here and find them. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers that are in the field. Look at how much God has been lavish in his provision. So we can trust in him as father to be lavish in providing for us as well. The first is to look at the birds, which is verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? It's look at the birds. They're, they're provided for by God. You have a Father who is this generous in his provision over all of creation, and yet, aren't you so much more valuable to him than the birds? They can't call him father. They're not made in his image. So if this is how God cares for a part of his creation, how much more will he care for you? Now, in no way does this diminish the work that we do. Uh, Martin Luther talks on this passage, and, and he says, the way God provides for the birds is it's not as though he's just dropping worms into their beaks. If you watch birds, they're incredibly industrious. They're flying around and yet they are provided for by God. See, the point of the teaching is this. You have a father who is this lavish in his provision, who has put so much value into you, who has invited you to call him father, who has demonstrated that he earns that title by his care and his love. So how could we tr uh, trust in ourselves alone? How can we doubt his care for us, his provision for his people? The example that's given is the birds don't gather or sow or, or reap. They, they don't grow anything. They're, they're dependent on what they can find. They're, they're not making plans for their future. There's so much that as we as people, okay, maybe we're not sowing and reaping, but we amass things. We, we find security in, in having plenty. That so much of our ability to gather can take us in one of two directions. One, it could make us feel like we're self-made. Look at all that I have. I'm safe. I'm secure. Or it could cause us to doubt. I don't have as much as I would like. I'm not safe right now. And that's where anxiety comes in. We are one of the wealthiest cultures. And yet we are so riddled with doubt and insecurity and anxiety, in part, I believe, because of what this passage is saying. By not recognizing the fact that we have a father like this who so lavishly loves us and provides for us when we are in need. The point is made further in verse 28. It says, why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't make any clothes. And yet I tell you, even Solomon, who's the wealthiest king in Israel's history, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, which is so temporary, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So the idea is that God is so lavish in his provision that that he makes beautiful even that which is temporary, that that he is so generous in providing, it's to the point of almost looking wasteful. Maybe a way that we can understand this is, is by the fall colors that we have here, that people drive hours to go and see them, knowing that they're gonna be in traffic each way because everyone else is going to see the fall colors. And yet we do this in a very small window of time between the leaves looking normal and falling down dead onto the earth. And so if God is this lavish in making the process of leaves dying so beautiful, doesn't that look wasteful? God putting so much care into such a mundane process, is he wasting his generosity? No, we should be taking the other side of that. Look at how generous God is that this process he makes beautiful, even though it's just leaves dying. And if that's the God that we have, who is this generous, this lavish in how he provides, how could we possibly doubt him? How could we let anxiety rule with questions about clothing? Now, I know this, this point uh, plays a little bit differently in our culture than it did for the one Jesus was in and speaking initially to at the time. Uh, our question of what will we wear tends to be in our closet in front of a variety of clothing options. Or when we're making a purchase in a store surrounded by a variety of clothing options. But the people Jesus was speaking to at the time, they would have had one, maybe two outfits, plus a cloak. It was, clothing was so rare that it was often one of the, the most used heirlooms, that you would pass down clothing to the next generation. That is how scarce clothing was. So the question of, what will I wear, was an actual question at this time. And yet that question fizzles when we see how generous God is, how lavishly he provides, how much he, as a father, he cares for his people. That we look throughout all of creation, there's examples of God's generosity. How could we not feel that same way for us? As valuable as he's made us, as, as he's invited us to call him father, this father who is so generous in all he does, how could we ever worry about him providing for us? We, we said that this, uh, this uh, name that's given to God has these two parts. We focused on father, but he's called here our heavenly father. Because as incredible it is that God loves us and we can spend our whole lives trying to understand the, the depth of that point and never fully understand it, how profound it is that God loves you. But as incredible as that is, if God is not able to act out of that love, th- then it doesn't really matter. This is why it's important that he is our heavenly father. Father is a picture of his love for us. Heavenly is a picture of his perfection. Or to put it, for these terms here, it's a picture of his power, that he is able to do what it is that he sets out to do. Look at verse 32. 
or at least the second half of it. It says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows what it is that we need. This is a God who knows our hearts. He knows what it, what it is that's outside of our control. He knows those worries that we have about what's potential. He knows where we feel lack in life, and he is able to provide for that lack. Jump to verse 34. It says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I recognize at first glance, that may not sound like we have a heavenly father from there. It could sound like the passage is saying, don't worry about tomorrow yet, but tomorrow's gonna be rough. Uh, but that's not what it's getting to. It's a really interesting way of putting it. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient. What is that getting to? It's the reminder that God renews his mercies for us every single day, that he provides for us what we need to live faithfully for him, to endure, to to respond to, to what God has put in front of us for today. It's in the moments that we reach beyond today to potentials, to things that might happen, to a worry that we have about tomorrow. That is where we go beyond God's sufficient provision for us. I, I think this is encapsulated in the story in the Old Testament. Uh, God rescued his people, Israel, from Egypt, from being slaves there. He was leading them to this land that he had promised for them. Uh, And yet that trail, that that path that they were taking did not have food source around. So how do you provide for a nation without any food around? And so God miraculously provided every single day food for all of his people in the form of manna. But there can naturally come some anxiety. What if he doesn't come tomorrow? What if he gets held up, or or this was just a one-time thing, what if he doesn't actually come to provide tomorrow? So I'll just take a little bit extra, just in case something else goes wrong. And what would happen with the manna is it would rot overnight, and it would be useless in the morning. But what also happened was God was once again there faithfully providing for his people in the morning. So that lesson that the Israelites learned is a lesson that we learn as well. God has sufficiently provided all that we need for the troubles that we find today. But when we go beyond today, when we add anxiety to it, that is where we go beyond God's provision, his care for us. He gives us mercy every day, but adding to the troubles beyond today goes beyond a sufficient provision. See, anxiety doesn't clarify our thoughts. In fact, it actually adds difficulties to it. Worry turns into a different worry, turns into a different worry, and all the while we have Jesus teaching, do not be anxious, which, oh no, I'm being anxious right now, which adds worry to it. It begins to snowball. This is a way that I process anxiety. But I do add another step, just I'm an, I'm an overachiever. I, I don't just worry about things that might happen or things as they're happening. I also look back on, on things that I've done and, and worry about those or uh, relive the worry that I've gone, be upset for how I responded in it. Just about every Sunday on the drive home, I'll say mean words about myself, about I didn't like how this was communicated or this came out or uh, a conversation that I had with, with a person. I, I, I'm upset for saying, something done, which happens uh, every, every time I have conversations, it seems. So it's this idea of adding so much worry on it. But what I'm doing there is I'm going beyond God's provision for today. 
by adding additional anxieties, additional worries, it goes beyond the means that God has provided for me to live faithfully for him today. But as we see this idea that God is our heavenly father, how lavish he is in his his love for us, the, the means that he provides for us, how he is faithful and powerful, how he supports his people, as we understand more of what it means that we have God as our heavenly father, that's what enables us to do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties onto him. And and not just blindly, not, not just for no reason whatsoever, we cast our anxieties onto him, the verse continues, because he cares for you. God as our heavenly father, That is how we're able to cope with, to to live through, to obey this command that's given to us to not be anxious. We talked about how uh, the teaching before flows into this idea. Actually, most of Matthew chapter six is is really tightly interwoven. And it starts off or or nearly starts off with a a very famous passage that's, that's called the Lord's Prayer. And you even see as Jesus is teaching people to pray, how it preemptively speaks out against these anxieties. Because how does that prayer start? Our Father in heaven, our heavenly Father. As we are reminded of that truth, that he is the God who cares for us and provides for us, that is how we are able to deal with the temptation to worry, to struggle when things seem out of control to doubt his faithfulness becomes less and less possible when we see how faithful he is as a father. But it gets to that very next line of the prayer. So our father, father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which gets to our second way that we're able to keep this command to not be anxious. That we see this heavenly father who is lavish in his love and he, and he provides for his people. He's capable to care for us. But as we focus on the reality that he is the king, that he is rightfully ruling all things, that we are his people under his rule in this world that is all under the authority of God. That as we focus on his kingdom, we are able to not be anxious. As we focus on the, on the fact that he is rightfully ruling, that is what helps us in our anxiety. This comes from uh, Matthew six thirty-two. It says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, all these needs that we feel and experience, the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So the idea is to not be like those who don't know God, that you have a a father like this. You have a, a, a king who's ruling over all things. To act like we don't is to deny what is real. For, for those who are the Gentiles, who aren't following God, yeah, you should be worried. I mean, who provides for you? Who cares for you? Who's able to give you what it is that you need, uh, what it is that you need? But for those who know this God as their father, who are focusing on his kingdom, I mean, th- those questions are incompatible with what we've seen God to be. Why are you worried? Look at what God has done for you. Look at how he has always provided for you. But why are you concerned about the things that seem out of control? You've never been in control. But today is another day that God is seated on his throne like he always is.
that as we focus on his kingdom, the, the reality that Jesus is ruling, uh, which the kingdom of God, we could just simply say it, it's God's rule over God's people in God's place. That as we focus on God's rule over God's people in God's place, that helps us to drive away the anxiety that we feel. And this is verse 33. It says, but, first, uh, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, anxiety, it reveals what it is that we care about, what it is that we love, what gets our affection. We don't tend to worry, we don't tend to fear about the things that we don't care about. And so this can often work as a, as a diagnostic tool for us as we're talking about the questions Jesus asked, a question we can ask of ourselves in those times of worry, of, of anxiety, of fear. It's, it's the simple question of what is this showing me that I care about? What is this revealing that I love? What is this showing me that my affections are in? On the other hand of that, it says to seek first, that our priority in all things, our greatest love ought to be the kingdom of God. The fact that God is ruling, that he has all authority, he's in charge of all things. God's rule over God's people, that we are shaped by him, we live in response to him, we are obedient to him as the only one who has authority in God's place. That all of creation is under God's control. There's not one thing that he is unable to do as the rightful king over all. Until the day that all people see clearly that he is on his throne and he makes all things new again that that is our priority in, in, in all things. That shapes how it is that we live. That, that shapes what it is that we are looking towards. Our priority is the kingdom of God as, that's, uh, as he is worthy to rule, as this is for our good, as this is greater than anything else. It says to seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, these worries that we have, these fears that drive us, these things that fall out of control, Seek the kingdom of God and we see how generous God is to provide for his people. And so what does that mean? That Christians have never gone hungry? That there's never been something that they are deprived of before? No, of course not. But I think this plays out in our lives in two different ways. The one is as we seek the kingdom of God, as that is our priority, that starts to shift to what it is that we need I mean, those of us in here following Jesus, do we say that the, the needs that we have now are the same needs that we would have felt before Jesus came into our life? It changes what it is that we prioritize. It changes what it is that we need. But the second way here is that as we seek the kingdom of God, this is gonna, this is gonna surprise you all, uh, we are reminded that it's a kingdom now, a kingdom isn't uh, a relationship that, where there's one person in charge over one person. That, that's not quite a kingdom. As we seek the kingdom of God, it's the reminder that we are joined with all other people who are prioritizing seeking after God. Last week, we talked about one of the markers of, of a true Christian community is generosity. We also called it hospitality. That as we are people joined together in seeking after God under his rule as his people, that that shapes how we interact with each other. Because, we are, uh, because he is our priority, that changes how we interact with the people who are around us. 
And yes, God meets the people, uh, meets the needs of his people through miraculous ways. We, we could go around this room and tell stories about how God has provided for us. Uh, use that quote from Martin Luther earlier, uh, who said that, that God doesn't just drop worms into the, the beaks of birds, but sometimes it's felt like God has just dropped something on us as a picture of his provision for us. But the other way that God meets the needs of his people is through the no less impressive uh, aspect of getting people to care for one another. That as we are shaped by being part of this kingdom of God, that shapes how we interact with each other as well. But that can't happen when we are driven by anxiety. Because anxiety tends to make us less generous. Oh, I'm not gonna have enough. Or what if, what if I can't cover other things that I have? Or it could uh, make us a workaholic, that this is my identity, this is how I provide, and so all that I'm gonna do is focus on work. Or to be vicious as we're trying to climb to the top, to see life as just something to win. But instead, as we seek first God's rule and way in, in response to him being a heavenly father to us, that causes our need for control those worries that we have, the anxiety that we feel to fizzle away. Here's what I hope we walk away with. In those times that we start to worry, when we feel anxious, first and foremost, remember your heavenly father. Anxiety has the ability to overwhelm us. All I see are my troubles. And while anxiety overwhelms us, God has overwhelmingly demonstrated his love for us, his care for us, his provision for us. Remember in those times of worry that you have a heavenly father. But second, in those times of worry, uh, or even when things are going well, continue to fill your life with his kingdom. Tell and, or reread the stories of God's faithfulness, of his character, what he's done, what it is that he will someday do. The reminders that he is ruling, that he is in control. Anxiety is not a switch that we can turn off, but as we focus, as we place our priorities in the right place, we can get that switch to be aligned with how it was always meant to be to not see things as threats or dangers or a question of our safety, even when they're not, to not take on more worry than what God has provided for us for. And as we focus on his kingdom, God's rule over his people and his place that helps to get that switch and better alignment. One of the best ways that we can do this is through prayer. We talked about how uh, this uh, section starts off with the Lord's Prayer, that as we are brought into uh, reminders that we're in relationship with this Heavenly Father, as we are reminded that He is the one who's ruling, so we turn to Him who's in control of all things, that helps us in these times of anxiety. When I look back at my life, the, the parts that are most marked by fear or worry, they're, they're also the times where prayer was not instinctual to me. That my reaction to difficulty wasn't, I need to pray about this, but it was just, oh no, how will I ever survive this? Prayer is, is uh, the, the absence of prayer often reveals in times of anxiety, but prayer is also the remedy to anxiety. This is Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything. What do we do instead? 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, as we read this passage, as we read Matthew chapter six, an easy way, and hear this as a wrong way to apply this passage is to go and try to find people who are worried or to look at the times of our life that we're feeling anxious and say, Jesus says, don't do that, so stop it. But that's not what Jesus teaches in this passage. He's showing us the dangers of anxiety. He's showing us how it's incompatible with with a, a full trust in God. But more than anything else, he's asking questions about it to help us to understand what the root cause is. His teaching is less focused on stop it, and it's more focused on what is the cause of your anxiety. He teaches us about anxiety, but he predominantly does so through these questions. And that makes all the difference in such a tricky and pervasive topic like worry, like anxiety. Never in this passage does he accuse people of not believing. He doesn't say, you just need to grit your teeth and and trust God harder than you ever have before. That's not it at all. But he helps people to arrive at belief even as anxiety tries to cast belief out. So our anxiety is marked by times where it feels like it's out of control or worried about what potentially might happen. And yet the remedy that Jesus gets to is showing us how great of a God that we have. He's a heavenly father to us. He is king over all things. And that is what helps us in our anxiety. And that, more than anything else, demonstrates the power of Jesus' questions.